Morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name's Kurt. I'm the minister, one of the ministers of St Matt's and Wild Street. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you along today if you're new with us. I'm going to be looking at the passage we just read. Um, what I'm finding recently is that when, often when I come, because we get out of the habit of coming to church, coming to meet together, because we're behind screens for so long, we can get a little bit passive when it comes to listening to Bible teaching uh, rather than engaging with God and his word. And so I've got a bit of an affirmation that I just came up with sitting down just then uh, that I want you to say after me. Now, you don't have to say it out loud. I don't know if we're allowed to say it out loud, so maybe don't say it out loud. Just under your breath, but don't breathe too much. Um, and it's this, it's this. I'm going to give you a little pause. I'm a child of God, a, fo- a follower of the living Jesus who speaks through his living word I am ready to be transformed. Father God, we praise you this morning because your word is the living word and you are going to speak to us now by your Holy Spirit because you want to change us. You want to transform us into the likeness of your Son. And so we by faith believe that to be true and we by faith uh, long to hear your voice transform us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I love to do love to do is meet a person for the first time and talk to them, uh, ask them enough questions to find out what they're really, really passionate about, what they're really excited about. The weirder and more wonderful, the better. And usually I get more excited by things that I know anything about. Uh, So just recently went on holidays, bumped into this guy, he was really into fishing. And so he's just talking to me about bait and different sorts of bait. And if I use chicken with sweet and sour sauce on it, I'll be able to get brim. And anyway, so I was writing it all down. And then for my birthday, I got a fishing rod, so now I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, I get excited. Now, my goal is always to figure out, what do you love? What's the thing that gets you excited, most animated? What do they treasure most? Because when you find that thing, the person comes alive. They can't help but speak. They can't help but talk passionately about whatever it is they're excited about. It's a basic truth that whatever you love, whatever you value, uh, whatever cause you want to fight for, that is the thing that you will sacrifice for. That is the thing that you will speak about to people, usually quite animated and excited. And so this morning, the question I feel like God is going to ask you and me is how much do you value Jesus? How much do you value Jesus? If you're new with us at church this morning or online, we're in week two of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, After he had started the church in Corinth, Things had gone a little bit pear-shaped. Things had gone wrong. And Paul is writing this letter to them to, con- to help them consider a big problem that's going on. And the big problem is summarised like this. The Corinthians had wanted the benefits of Jesus' work on the cross. Salvation, forgiveness, new life, resurrection. But without the life that flows from that, that, that cross work, the cross-shaped life we're co- talking about. A life like Jesus of sacrifice to others. A a life of using your freedom to love and serve others. And so they wanted the benefits of the cross without the life that flows from the cross, and that is the cross-shaped life. And so in chapter 8, last week, Paul spoke about what cross-shaped living looked like in regards to eating of meat sacrificed to idols. He says that Christians are free to eat, For there is no such thing as other gods, but we should not eat if it causes another Christian to stop following Jesus. 
Now, uh, chapter 8 is a part of a unit that goes from 8 to 10, so he's going to say more about whether Christians should eat in chapter 10, we'll see next week. But in chapter 8, he's saying, Christian freedom should be in love and never get, get in the way of people being saved or following Jesus. And so what he does in chapter 9, going into chapter 9, is he turns the corner and he says, and that's the very thing I did for you. That's the very thing I did for you. Paul gave up his freedom and his, or his rights to not get in the way of the Corinthians following Jesus. All right, so verse 1. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our, Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now what was going on here is that some in Corinth had questioned Paul's apostleship, whether he's a true apostle. And so he starts this section in chapter 8 by asking three rhetorical questions, of which the implied answer is yes. Paul's saying, I am free, I'm an apostle who saw the living Jesus. And then he says to them, and you know that because I actually came to you and shared, you, shared with you the message about Jesus and you got saved. Of all the people who should know an apostle, I sent one from Jesus with his message, it should be you. Verse 3, this is my defence to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we ha not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? See, one of the question marks that had been raised by people in Corinth about Paul's apostleship was that he didn't seem to get paid for what he was doing. He didn't charge for his teaching. See, if you go back into that time, into those space in Corinth, people walked around as professional speakers, like there was a circuit of professional speakers who got paid for speaking, for their teaching. And so Paul has already spoken about them in chapter 2 or alluded to them in chapters 1 and two, he talks about those who use lofty words of wisdom. Now, Paul, unlike that, when he was in Corinth, he made tents for a living. He was a tent maker by trade. He made tents for a living and charged no one as he preached the gospel. Now, some people had said, how could Paul's teaching have authority if he doesn't get paid? How can he be a professional speaker, a real teacher, if he's not being paid? Well, Paul, in verses 3 to 11, says, I could have been paid. He says, yes, I could have been paid. It was my right. He says, those who preach the gospel should be financially provided for. Those who preach the gospel should be financially provided for. But, Paul says, I did not use that right. I did not use that right. Why? Verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul wanted nothing to stand in the way of people getting the gospel. He wanted nothing to stand in the way of people getting the gospel. And, it, and so he explains how that could have happened back in chapters 1 and 2. So we're going to rewind back to chapters 1 and 2. Back there he says, 
that he didn't come with lofty words of wisdom. Okay? That is, he didn't come as a professional speaker. He says, instead, he deliberately chose to preach a, a foolish, weak message about Jesus, the crucified king. He didn't come with lofty words of wisdom. He came and spoke about Jesus, the crucified king. And then he says he also spoke not just a weak message, but as a weak messenger. And so in chapter 2, verse 3, he talks about he came with weakness, fear, and trembling. Now, why did he do that? So that the cross would not be emptied of its power to save. So that, what does that mean? So that 2, 5, he says, so that their faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. See, Paul knew when he walked into Corinth, in a culture that idolised speakers and professional speakers, they had this professional speaking circuit, that if he came into Corinth, he took money for his services and walked around like he was a rock star speaker, then people in Corinth would put their trust in him and not in Jesus and it would empty the cross of its power to save. Because to be saved, you have to put your trust in Jesus and not in Paul. It would empty the cross of its power. And so Paul used his freedom, complete freedom, to sacrifice his rights to being paid to not get in the way of the gospel. To, not get in, to, to prevent them putting their trust in Paul and not in Jesus. Now, the reason he did that is because although Paul was free from all, Paul was enslaved. He was ultimately enslaved to the gospel. He was enslaved to the gospel. So have, have a look at verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's saying, I can't boast about the fact that I spoke the gospel to people, that I speak the gospel to people. He can't boast about it like he chose to do it. He says, necessity is laid upon him. He goes further, verse 17. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Now, it's a really, really strong way of saying it because Paul still makes choices. It's not like he was this passive person who is passive and does whatever, like a puppet. But he's saying it really strong. He's saying, Paul is saying, if I chose to preach the gospel, then I would be rewarded. That, that would he says, but I didn't choose to. I didn't choose to. He says, I am just a steward. I'm just a steward. Now imagine for a moment, it's, I think it's really difficult for us to imagine, but imagine for a moment you lived in the poorest of villages in India. And a very affluent, rich man, a philanthropist perhaps, comes into the village one night and he comes into your, into your house and he says to you, I'm going to give you this massive, um, I'm giving you a massive amount of money and this money is so much that you are not going to have to about worry about money for the rest of your life. And after he offers you that money, he says, and there's some other money here that is actually enough for your whole village to be blessed for the rest of their lives as well. Now, if he gives you this wealth, he's making you a steward of his wealth. Now, imagine the next day you walk out into the village and you see 
really, really sick children. You see poor people begging for their lives with nothing to live on. What do you do? What do you do? You share the gift you've been given. Is, is there a choice there? There's no choice. You, you share the gift you've been given. How could you not? You are compelled by the incredible riches that you've been given to share it with the people that have not. See, when Paul met Jesus, he experienced the riches of knowing the gospel, of knowing Jesus. And from then on, he was enslaved to the gospel. It was not even a choice he could take credit for. He couldn't say, oh, I'm so great that I go along and share the gospel with people. He couldn't. He was under divine compulsion to speak of Jesus. He was compelled, he says in 2 Corinthians, by the love of Christ to share with others, to be an ambassador. And that led him to give up all things so that all people might respond to the gospel, might be saved. Paul gives up all things so that all people might respond to the gospel. Verse 18. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul says his reward, his greatest reward that he gets from his endeavours of preaching the gospel is that he gets the, the satisfaction, the great reward of knowing he has, he has not got in the way of someone meeting Jesus. He's been given to, he's been participant with God in bringing God's blessing into people's lives. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now just stop there for a second. Notice he says he is free from all. He's not talking about freedom from sin or freedom from condemnation because of the cross. But what he's saying is he's, he's, he's free from having his identity, having his worth come from other people or other cultures or religions or anything or any categorization you can have for human beings. Paul was not ruled by being liked or respected or looking powerful. He says, I'm free from all. And this enables me to make it not about me when I'm engaging with people, but to be a servant to all, to win them to Christ. So verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. That's a funny little saying. Paul was a Jew. So Paul, he, but he, here he says, I became a Jew. So how does Paul become a Jew? Now what he's saying here is that I no longer define myself by my culture or race. My chief identity is not bound up in that anymore. He was free from his Jewish culture. He was free from the requirements of the Old Testament law. But he served the Jews by living like a Jew when with them. In order to not put any obstacles, prevent any means of them saying, well, Paul's not really into God because he's not... To prevent any obstacles in the way of the people the Jewish people, listening to the message about Jesus. So to the Jew, he became like a Jew, verse 21. To those outside the law, that's the non-Jew, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And so to the non-law-keeping Gentile, 
He did things that Jews wouldn't normally do in order to win them to Christ. But he says that he didn't do things that against, the, against Christ himself, but he, he was flexible in what he did in that he didn't want to put any, as many, and that's just possible, not put no obstacles in the way of Gentiles coming to Christ. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. So he's talked about this already in chapter 8. Uh, Paul would give up meat to not cause new believers from pagan backgrounds to stumble as Jesus' followers. Verse 22, keep going. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So Paul was not bound by belonging to a particular group. He was free to change how he lived to prevent anything getting in the way of people meeting Jesus. He, he, he was free to do to change the way he lived to prevent people to stop to prevent anyone uh, being stopped by him in becoming a follower of Jesus verse 23 I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings so here it is Paul is ultimately enslaved to the gospel he does it all for the sake of the gospel and this compels him to serve others so his ultimate enslavement is to the gospel and that compels him to, in his freedom, use it to serve others by making his whole life about sharing the riches of Jesus as clearly as possible. That together, he says, they might share in the blessings of Jesus. Uh, so in staff meeting this week, we talked about the fact that proclamation will lead to participation. As we proclaim the gospel, it will lead to participation as you share with others in the blessings of Christ. Paul does all things for the sake of the gospel. And so let me ask you two questions that I think throw from that. The first question is this. Are you free from all? Are you free from all? See, the only reason Paul was able to be flexible in how he lived is because he wasn't ruled by the expectations of culture or religion or other people his significance and his worth and his identity was not in being a Jew or a law keeper or being strong in the faith. His identity and worth were found in his relationship with Jesus. His identity and worth was found in relationship with Jesus. So what does that mean? He could change how he lived depending on who he was trying to reach. Because ultimately he knew, I belong to Jesus. He's my only judge. And so I want to start there. My question to you is, are you free from all? Or are you ruled by the desire to be liked by friends and family? Are you ruled by the desire to be seen as senior in your profession? Are you ruled by the desire to be looked up to in your workplace? Are you ruled by the desire to be popular amongst your friends? If you are not pursuing freedom from all, if your identity in Christ is not the thing that you're focused on giving you your significance and worth, then you will sometimes share the gospel with people you feel comfortable with or groups of people you feel respected by. Maybe you will sometimes as well but you will not be a servant to all to win all. You will not be a servant to all to win all. Are you free from all? First question. Second question, 
Are you making the gospel clear? Now, what's interesting about this is for Paul, being all things to all men didn't mean Paul went into a place to make everyone like him. He didn't want to go into the place and become the most popular guy around so that people listened to him. It wasn't about, for Paul, making Christianity look cool. In Corinth, what did it look like? It meant getting up in front of people and looking foolish weak and weak. All things to all people is not about people liking us. It is about, it is about not being an obstacle to people understanding who Jesus is. And so we need to be always asking, is the way I live and the message that I speak making the gospel clear? So if I go out with a group of friends and I get completely hammered, I get completely smashed, drunk with my friends to share the gospel, is that making the gospel clear? If I'm harsh with people at work, really, really harsh on them when they make a mistake, and then at lunchtime decided I'm going to take the opportunity to share with them the love of Jesus, am I making the gospel clear? See, rather than serving them, I become an obstacle to meet people meeting Jesus. The message has to line up with the life of the messenger. And so being free from all does not mean not caring but not caring about people's opinions and cultures. And so what, what it's not saying here is just be yourself and tell them about Jesus. We need to be the best we can at understanding people, at understanding culture, not to make them like us, not because we're ruled by their opinions of us, not to fit into the culture or make the message Uh, or to change our message but to make the message of Jesus and the manner we say it have as much integrity as possible so they fit together that we make make Jesus as clear as possible now one thing I want to clarify here yes we should pursue lives that line up with a message but do not go away from today thinking that is the power of to save people. That unless you go away and you live this godly life that matches perfectly with what you're saying every time, that people are not going to be saved. The power is in the gospel. It's in the message about Jesus. It's not in the messenger. God will save people regardless of the rubbish efforts we have at sharing the gospel with people. So go speak. Don't get paralysed by the fact you're not perfect. But at the same time, aspire to as much as possible through our lives and our words, make the gospel clear. Are you making the gospel clear? Verse 24. Do you not know that those that run in a race, sorry, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So Paul has said he is free from all, to serve all, to win all. 
And that way of living requires, he's talking about here, discipline, it involves sacrifice, it involves purpose and the intent of an athlete who's training. An athlete, you'll notice, he says here, the way they, the, the way they keep themselves focused is by keeping their eyes on the price. He talks about the imperishable wreath which in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the imperishable life of the resurrection. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, keep your eyes on the resurrection life that you will have in the future with Jesus. And that's why in chapter 15, he spends a whole chapter on the resurrection. That right now, we keep our eyes focused on the blessings we have both now in Jesus and will one day have with him. And only by keeping our eyes on those future blessings of being in Christ can we actually be free from all, to serve all, to win all? You see, the gospel is the key to this. If you go away from today thinking, oh, how am I going to make that sense of how to do this in my life? If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you've got no problems. He, he's the way to do it. In, in, in his sacrificial life is the life you want to live like. And he is the motivation to do it. As you look to him and what you have in him, he sets you free from living for other people to make you free from all, to actually change the way you're doing it in order to share the gospel with him and with them. All of what Paul has said springs from the gospel. And so that's why I need to take you back to that first question I asked you. How much do you value Jesus? I feel like it all comes down to that. How much do you value Jesus? Because to the degree you value the blessings of the gospel, you recognise the blessings of the gospel, what you have in him, to that degree, you will compulsively speak about him. To that degree, you will be free from all, not getting your significance and identity from people and culture, but from him. And, and to that degree, because you're free from all, you will be enabled to be free to serve others, to change the way you live, to make the gospel clear. And so that's why he finishes this passage by saying, be like an athlete and set your minds on Jesus. Make all of your life about setting your mind on Jesus and who you are in him. And so how much do you value Jesus? See, my prayer today is not that you would go away and just try harder to tell people about Jesus. You know, try to get you, oh, I've got to try and tell people Jesus. Or just maybe think, oh, I probably shouldn't say those harsh words at work or these are all good things. I don't want you to go away being paralysed, thinking I can't speak because my life is not lining up with the gospel. I want you to go away knowing that as we focus on Jesus in his word, that God by his spirit would open up your eyes to a greater and greater degree to see the value of Jesus. That you would have a greater sense of compulsion to speak of him than you have ever experienced. You know when people first come Christians, they're so excited about Jesus and they're talking to everyone, trees, dogs, they're telling everyone about Jesus. Why is that? It's because it's so stark when you first become a Christian that the value of Jesus, he just seems like such a treasure. And so what I find is that as we go along in the Christian life, we, we kind of get content. We kind of, get, we kind of think it's normal for as you to mature as a Christian to kind of got, get less and less excited about it, to, for Jesus to not seem as valuable. Friends, 
I don't think that's what maturity looks like. I think we need to get on our knees and cry out to God and say, God, open our eyes that we might see the supreme value of the gospel. That we might be enslaved to this gospel because we compulsively have to speak about it because of how glorious Jesus is. I feel like we need to get on our knees and cry out for that. That as you meet people, you would do the work of understanding who they are and where they come from, that your living would match the message as you pursue living like your saviour amongst them. That as you meet people and you see that through gospel glasses, you see their spiritual poverty, you would be, you just want to share with them the riches of Jesus. See, this is not just a strategy for evangelism in 1 Corinthians 9, you know. We've just got to match it up, you know. What are we going to be for these people? What are we going to be for this? It's not a silver bullet like that. It's, it's all found in our relationship with Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, this is a passage that humbles us, not because we just look at our lives and think it doesn't match up with the message, but because we recognise the reason we can't live this way is because we just sometimes fail to see the value of Jesus. We fail to see the glory of the gospel. And so we ask you, Jesus, we're on our knees this morning, saying, show us the value of Jesus. Show us the glories of the gospel. Show us the blessings of the gospel. Help us like athletes to with great intent, with great discipline, pour ourselves into looking into your word and understanding who you are that we might be transformed by it to be people who compulsively speak, who do change everything about our lives to make Jesus as clear as possible to others. And we pray in his name. Amen.